Hi, I'm Deborah, a crypto comms professional who loves all things money. And I'm Hui Yu, a financial advisor who wants to help you fall in love with money. Welcome to Season 3 of Good Girls Talk About Money, the monthly podcast that talks about how to better understand your financial well-being and improve your confidence in handling your money. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to Good Girls Talk About Money. Today, I have a very special guest with me simply because I think more of you will know more about his platform than Good Girls Talk About Money. Like, you know, if I introduce him and what he does, then you'll probably go like, oh yeah, we know about we know about this platform a long time ago. Who is Good Girls Talk About Money anyway? But anyway, so today we have Tim, Timothy Ho, uh, who is the co-founder of Dollars and Cents. Uh, and if you are familiar with all things financial literacy and, you know, personal finance, and you are an avid reader of all these content, uh, you know, you consume these contents online quite a bit, then you'll be very familiar with Dollars and Cents. But I shall leave Tim to do a short intro about himself. Hello, Tim. Welcome to Good Girls Talk About Money. Hey, thanks, Zebra, for having me here. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to heard a lot of good things about your podcast from my wife, uh, who <laughs> listens to it often. So I'm happy to be here to contribute my views. Maybe she will listen to this as well, see what I have to say. Uh, anyway, yeah, I, I did Dollars and Cents. I started Dollars and Cents um, out of university. Uh, this was back in 2012. And uh, actually, for the first three years, me and my co-founder, we actually did it as a passion project. So we, we had day jobs and uh, all the way till 2015. So it's only from 2015 onwards that I actually uh, went to do Dollars and Cents full-time. So I've been running it full-time for about eight years. And what we do, obviously, as the name suggests, we write a lot about financial-related content. And, you know, um, in doing our research about you, Mark, our producer, told me that you were the president of your university investment club. What is that about? Yeah, so uh, I, I actually went to uh, SIMUOL. Uh, so this was in SIM. And uh, I studied accounts and finance and uh, similar to all university actually, so NTU, NUS, SMU, SIM, we all have our own investment club. And uh, I at that point in time, I was already interested in investing. So that was back in university. So I, I joined an investment club. Uh, I, was at the, I was the president at, the, at my final year. So um, helping, and actually what we do in, in the investment club is very similar to what we do at Dawson Center that you mentioned, right? So we organize talks, we teach members about financial education, financial literacy, uh, and I think actually for a lot of uh, university students, because there is investment clubs in all the universities, uh, I, my experience is that most of them uh, actually chance upon investing with the investment clubs. Because if you think about it, all the way till university, uh, we don't really learn about finance in school, right? So if you in primary school, secondary school, poly, JC, IT, no one really teaches you about finance or investing unless you happen to study that, that course, right? So it's usually only when people go to university, uh, when they start thinking about finance, they start thinking about adulting. And I realized that the investment club is actually one of the first touch points for a lot of young students uh, in Singapore. Moving on to our topic for today, this is very interesting. I, I really want to hear your views about it because, you know, clearly um, you're probably more in tune with what the market is like right now in this economy. So today we're going to be talking about the impact of layoffs on the economy. You know, specifically, you know, with so many people losing their jobs, 
what is the impact on the wider economy? Like, you know, like, does it even make sense to lay off so many people when clearly when people are laid off, they don't have the money to spend? And if people have no money to spend, how is the economy going to recover? I mean, for me, this is, it seems like a very circular problem. So let's go into our first question first. Like, what, you know, do you think about this current economy with, you know, current climate with all the layoffs, you know, and they are doing it in the thousands, right? So like, what's your thoughts on on all this thing right now? I mean, it's not a great thing whenever we see recessions, we see people getting retrenched and in the thousands, as you mentioned about it. I guess from my point of view, and I like to look at things really from, I guess, from an investment stock market point of view, because that's how I try to see the world from an economic point of view. Um, as we, you probably know, right, markets goes up and up and down, right? It's a well-known thing that the stock market goes in cycle. And what we're seeing is basically a down cycle right now. And a, a, a somewhat overdue down cycle, if you think about it, because all the way till uh, 2022, the stock market has actually done very well since the, la- the the past decade, since we came out of the global financial crisis, right? And one of the things that happened during the global financial crisis, a little bit of a history lesson for, you know, maybe younger audiences, yeah, people that are younger than us, is that the Fed's actually, the US Federal Reserve actually lowered interest rate uh, to near zero. And they kept it because they wanted to make sure that the banks, which were affected by the, the global financial crisis and the companies that were affected, could easily borrow money still. So they wanted to get out of the recession quickly by lowering interest rates. So what happened was that it was quite effective and interest rate remained zero for a very long time, right? And they and, and this continued all the way till 2019-2020 um, where interest rates were low and companies were borrowing money, right? Because if you think about it, companies will borrow when interest rates are low and they will stop borrowing when interest rates are high, right? And so this happened all the way. And then we had 2020, which was COVID. And when COVID happened, every I mean, that was a black swan event. Nobody expected it. Uh, most of our lives changed, right, for, for, the bad, for, for the worse. And to some extent, for the better as well, as we start to have, you know, work from home, we get a little bit more time at home. So the facts continued on, on this near 0% interest. They even pumped money into the system. And what happened was that, not surprisingly, you have inflation. Right, so companies were hiring people because it was cheap to borrow. The government is giving subsidies. Even in Singapore, if you remember, we had things like the jobs uh, support scheme, where the government will give you money for any local employees that you hire, as well as they call it the job growth incentive, where any company in 2020 and 2021 that hired a local in Singapore could get subsidy on on hiring those people. So it, it was the same thing in the US, right? They had subsidies as well. And what happened was that there was this huge increase in employment across a lot of companies, both in the US, Singapore, and other countries as well. And that led to inflation, high inflation, right? And then you saw inflation last year in Singapore and a lot of developed nations, 7%. In some developing countries, you know, it was like 60%, 70%, and so So that's obviously not sustainable. And then they wanted inflation to go down, so they decided to increase interest rate now. And then once they increase interest rate, companies stop borrowing, they start to consolidate their how they should spend their money. And one of the things they think about is to let go of people. So the whole idea is to slow down the economy. I mean, it's interesting because today, like, I was just listening to another podcast and they said that, you know, I mean, it's, it's very interesting how you position it. Basically, you know, there was a boom 
people were borrowing. And then after that, there was a black swan event. And then, you know, tech companies started hiring like crazy. And in certain cases, we were reading that, you know, certain tech companies were talent hoarding. So they were actually hiring like crazy just so they can hoard the talent and keep them out of the market, right? And then, of course, now we have, you know, the down cycle. Companies aren't making money. The market is bad, blah, blah, blah. But I think what was interesting that this uh, podcast, they had this uh, researcher join this um, podcast, right? And he was saying that, Research has shown, right, beyond the short-term investor gratification, right, layoffs don't actually deliver the benefits that the CEOs say they do. Like saying, oh, we're laying off people so that we can protect investors, we can uh, save more money, we can reach profitability. I think that is the reaching profitability is a major headline that we're seeing with local tech companies, right? They're doing a layoff here. They're doing a layoff there. They're doing a layoff again. And ultimately, the goal is to reach profitability. So do they actually reach these goals? I mean, you invest in the stock market. So, you know, how, how do you see it, actually? I think you, you are right. Um, I think there's two points to note here, right? So the first thing I would say is that compared to previous retrenchment exercise we've seen in the past where companies let go of people, what you're seeing right now is that the retrenchments are also being done by some of the world's most profitable companies, right? So, you know, Google, Amazon, Meta, or slash Facebook, they are not losing money. They are making a lot of money still, right? Even though they are retrenching people. So it's, it's, it's not a situation where, you know, you have a company that's about to fail that it has no choice but to retrench people, right? So these companies that, uh, like Google, for example, they are still incredibly profitable, but it's just that they have less profit in 2022 compared to the year before. One thing I would say is that um, I'm not too sure historically how past retrenchment has been, but companies like Google and, and Meta, Facebook, they have actually added a lot of people in the year before, right? So even, so I, I'm just looking at some stats, right? So Google added 21% more workers in 2022, and you can see on their annual report compared to 2021. So they actually hired about close to 40,000 more people in 2022 compared to 2021, right? So if you think about it, even after they have retrenched 12,000 workers, they still have more workers going into 2023 than compared to 2021. And that's the same thing with uh, Facebook as well, right? And so I guess, you know, uh, one way of thinking about it is that even though there has been a uh, significant amount of layoff for some of these high-tech, high high tech companies that are very profitable, they still have more people compared to the past. So the idea that, you know, hey, we're retrenching people to save money and downsize a little bit, it's only true compared to, from 2022 compared to 2021. But if you compare it before the pandemic, they actually have much more people. One thing I would say is that definitely, you know, as listed companies, uh, and, and not just listed companies, but uh, being some of the world's most profitable companies. You know, you invest in any US ETF, like the S&P 500, you'll be exposed to Amazon, Microsoft, Facebook, Meta, companies like this, right? So they definitely have a lot of stakeholders riding on their short-term profitability. That's one of the problems of being a listed company, right? CEOs can sometimes be judged on a yearly basis or even on a quarterly basis based on their profitability and and nobody, uh, you and I, you know, nobody wants to invest in an ETF or unit trust that has exposure to 
you know, some of these Googles and Alphabet Meta and only to see that profitabilities are dropping. So I guess there is a lot of stakeholder management here at work. And, you know, one of the easiest way to increase your revenue or your profits in the short term is just to immediately, you know, reduce your cost, you know, in the short term, especially if they are already guilty of what you call talent hoarding in the first place, right? So then maybe what they tell themselves is let's just stop hoarding talent and some people will go. Uh, unfortunately, you know, I'm looking at the stats and, you know, companies like Facebook, Meta, you know, share price have gone up about 70% since the start of the year. So, you know, as much as they are retrenching a lot of people, it seems like the investor sentiments are pretty good, you know. So, you know, does it feel <laughs> a little bit unethical? I guess so, you know. But it's it's the way the investment space, you know, um, it's, it's how the investment community reacts. Let's come back closer to home. Obviously, these are huge companies with offices in Singapore as well. And, you know, people are also being laid off in Singapore and a lot of people are affected, right? So what are the impacts of layoffs in a small country like Singapore? Um, I think it does affect us because I think Singapore, it's an open economy and uh, we obviously have not much natural resources besides our people. That's what we learned from school, right? So um, anything that happens in a country, especially a big country like the US, will inevitably uh, affect us one way or, or, or another, right? It could be direct layoffs, right? So I was at a staycation recently and uh, across my staycation building was Credit Suisse, right? Credit Suisse. So yeah, you know, like like the whole big building, I, I don't know how many people are coming in anymore. I, I spoke to one of my friends who runs a cafe there and she says that the food traffic has definitely fallen because, you know, Credit Suisse, which was right around the building, right across the road, is no longer active, right? So uh, it definitely affects us when, uh, as a country that largely depends on international trade, you know, so I, I would say that, you know, when money slows down, when the flow of money slows down, when people are not employed or they're losing their jobs or they have, they, they, they have to take a pay cut, you know, less money goes around the world. That means less money comes our way as well in Singapore. So we will be affected. Uh, maybe we have already been affected because I think in the latest GDP announcement uh, in Q1 2023, uh, the advanced estimates from MTI is that Singapore economy grew 0.1% compared to 2.1% uh, same period last year. So clearly, the slowdown will affect us. So yeah, I guess that's one thing that we, we should be concerned about. Uh, but that's it. That's it. And again, I'm looking at it from a maybe a stock market point of view. Uh, Singapore tends to do very well coming out of a recession, right? So because we're so open, we get affected quickly when things are bad, but we also recover more quickly when things become better, right? So case in point, just look at last year when we have things like F1. Uh, I was at a fintech fest. There were so many people coming to Singapore, right? Changi Airport is is back again, right? Because the pandemic is, uh, people are living with the pandemic, borders are no longer closed we are the first guys who benefit from it because we are just doing well immediately. So, uh, yeah, so it affects us when things are going badly, but once things recover, we tend to do well quickly as well. Mm. I mean, for me, right, I kind of like have, I was telling, I was joking with my friends the other day. I said, you know what? Actually, I'm keeping a mental shit list. <laughs> All the companies who think that they can reach profitability by letting people go and thinking that, oh, you know what? I don't need all these like thousands of people 
businesses, right? Like say, for instance, if you are in the ride hailing business and you decide to let 3,000 people go, boom, just like that, right? And I'm thinking to myself, if I'm one of these 3,000 people, I'll make it my personal mission to never use this app ever again. Okay, but so try not to be so personal now. I want to know, right, like how does this climate of layoffs affect personal spending and the way people invest? Do you... Do you have your take on it? Like, do you think people would kind of hoard their money closer to them or you should be even more aggressive given that it's a down cycle and you don't be more aggressive with your investment? What, what's your personal take? I think for people who are personally affected by retrenchment, um, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sucky period, obviously, right? Because uh, it's not their fault. They are not, maybe they're not intending to leave the company. They might be very happy there. They've been working there for there for a few years. So I think personally for them, it's really, uh, it, it, it's quite sucky and it's a, it's a bad thing. And, and, you know, they have to look at their own personal finance, try to manage their budget in the short term and then, uh, obviously find a job. The good, the good news is that in Singapore, I think, uh, job vacancy is, is, there's still a lot of jobs available, right? There's a lot of jobs, uh, and, People can still get jobs if they want to in Singapore. There's always vacancy available. Unemployment rate is very low currently. The problem is, I think right now, a lot of the jobs that you see, you know, with the retrenchments, it's actually on the higher paying side of things, right? So your tech, your fintech, uh, these are industries that typically pay better than the average. And it would be difficult, you know, if those, if those uh, industries are actually retrenching, because then it means that you can find a job in Singapore still, I think, but you might have to accept a lower pay, right? Because, um, because it's it's difficult for companies to match, uh, a tech company like Google or a cryptocurrency as well. So I think that's the part that is a, a little bit uh, of a uh, that has to be managed for people who are affected. I think from an investor point of view, if you're not personally affected financially, for example, I say from an investment point of view, it's it's it could be an opportunity, right? Because if we look at share prices now compared to the same period two years ago a lot of the companies even even after they have rebound now so we we talk about a company like facebook uh, i'm just looking at the share price now so even though prices has gone up 70 percent since the start of the year you know it is still a lot lower than say it was two years ago right so if you believe in the long-term potential of this company regardless of whether they retrench people or not if they're just sticking that, that moral consideration aside, you know, it is an opportunity to invest in some companies that are now uh, beaten down. But I think, in fact, a lot of companies are beaten down. So if you choose the, the strong companies that you believe will continue to thrive over time, then it's a good time because you are investing at maybe the price of 50% of what it was two years ago. So I guess, you know, uh, it really depends on how you think about it. Uh, statistically, investing during a recession allows you to make a lot more money when the market eventually recovers, assuming you uh, get into the right companies to invest in or you have a diversified enough portfolio. So I think uh, we can look at it both ways, right? It's both a difficult period, especially if you're affected, as well as an opportunity, especially which happens if you're not affected. It's very Mm -hmm. insightful. And I like the part where you say that you know, statistically speaking, when you invest in a recession, the chances of you making a huge return on your investment is definitely much better, right? So, you know, you having been doing this investing thing for so long and, you know, you're kind of like exposed to all these like 
financial content like as part of your job day in day out right you know as a friend and obviously we always have this um disclaimer on our podcast that whatever we say should not be taken as financial advice and definitely you need to talk to your financial advisor first but tim tell me like you know if let's say we we should really go in and invest during this down cycle right what are your personal like investment strategy right now that you are doing can you share with us um, I can share a little bit of what I think. Um, so let me just um, ref- refer to some of the studies that we have found out. So I think one of the things to note is that uh, recessions, when we talk about recessions, and I, I refer to it like stock market crash, right? So a stock market can crash without an official recession. So just, just FYI, a recession can happen and a stock market can do very well. But let's just talk about stock market crash, right? The, the problem with a stock market crash is that you... Um, you never know how long it will go down, right? So something that goes down can continue to go lower. And I, I'm not referring to individual stocks, referring to the market as a whole, right? So it could be, if you think about uh, COVID, right? So 2020, if your memory is good enough and you can still remember what happened, the market crashed, I think about 30% in the US market, S&P 500, within 30 days. And they had a couple of, they call it circuit breaker in the stock market, which means it's literally, they stopped the stock market for, a period of time because it was going down too fast, a circuit breaker, they call it circuit breaker. Uh, and they, I think they had a couple of circuit breaker within that period, right? So it went down by 30% within a month, uh, but then it recovered, right? Immediately after a month, it recovered thanks to some of the tech stocks that did well. And I think within five months, it kind of already claimed back all the losses it has made and then it chucked higher highs, right? So that, you know, a recession, can, or a stock market crash can be that short. Alternatively, it can be very long, right? So you look at, you know, um, you know, dot-com bubble, right? And I think it was, you know, for about a period of about 30, 31 months, you know, the market was trending downwards, right? So this is more than two years of going down. And then it took about 56 months. So that is more than four, almost five years before it actually recovered, right? So what I observed during, especially during the 2020 uh, market crash, I think that was from February to March, if I'm not wrong. Uh, a lot of people were saying, no, don't invest yet, right? Even though it's down, don't invest yet because the last recession, it took a few, many months before it actually hit the bottom and then it took a longer time to recover. But then it recovered very quickly, right? On the flip side, if you think you can time the market and hey, it goes down a lot within a month, let me just invest everything in right now it might continue to go down for the next two, three years, right? So the point is that you cannot guess the, how fast it recover. We can't guess because the future, and I always tell people, is never set in stone, right? We, we, it's just like trying to predict when COVID will end when COVID first started, right? Some people were saying, oh, look at SARS, it should end within the end of the year, right? But we're still having with COVID right now is how many waves already, right? So you cannot predict the future because the future is not set in stone. Right. What I would say is that, uh, and this is also based on a little bit of uh, statistics that or research that people have done, some of the best days, some of the best performing days in the stock market actually happen during a recession or so. Right? So that's the double whammy, right? Because I say you cannot guess when the recession will end, but you also know that some of the best days to invest is during a recession. And the logical reason, it's quite logical, right? Because the market goes down so much. So if you invest, and it recovers, then it becomes a good day to invest, right? So my, my suggestion is not to time the market. It's, it's actually just dollar cost average, right? So 
if you invest a fixed amount of money each month, uh, when the market continues to go down, it's okay because that just means the units you buy next this month will be cheaper compared to the month before, right? So you can average it downwards. If it goes up, it's also a good thing, right? Because that just means that what you invest in in previous months, now it's giving you uh, profits already. So I think a dollar cost averaging is something we can consider. Uh, but I have to put a caveat here. Um, a lot of people think dollars cost averaging means you can just average, invest in every, anything you want. But that's not true, right? Recessions or market crash would kill some companies, right? There'll be some companies that don't do well during a recession. They'll go bankrupt and they will never come back again. You will never see them again, right? So you cannot think of dollar cost averaging as a concept that can be applied to individual companies or even sectors, right? Even sectors. A sector might go down and will never come back again, right? You have to look at it from a diversified approach point of view. So it has to be broad enough. It has to be like, say, a proxy for the for the market, right? So the S&P 500, for example, not giving any advice, but that's probably quite broad, right? And you also have to look across different asset classes as well. Nice. So, I mean, like, the thing is, you know, with DCA and, you know, looking at um, different types of asset classes and different stock market, uh, different stock tickers, for example, right? Do you actually have a personal favorite. I mean, Hui Yu is not here, our co- my co-host. She, her personal favorite is always the tech stocks, right? But what do you think? Because for me personally, I always think that, I feel like like my, my take is that the big tech companies are kind of on their way. <laughs> I don't know whether this is true, but like, I always feel like, you know, it, it will come, you know, there was a period of time where I would feel like, you know what, as long as I can land a job at Facebook, Google, or Amazon, I'm safe. They will never need to cut people because they will never run out of funding. But this is proving to be not true anymore, right? So I'm wondering to myself, like from like a macroeconomic point of view, like are they like also sort of going through a a, a phase of big changes? Like the next cycle where where the market actually recovers, we may not actually be making so much from these big tech stocks anymore. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Um it is always very difficult to try predict future trends, I think, right? Um, and chances are that as uh, retail investors like me and you, uh, if we are able to predict or we try to predict a future trend, chances are that it's already priced in already, right? Which means other people already think about it and uh, they have, and because they think about it, they've already invested. So our bullishness on that sector is already priced in by the fact that the prices are probably higher than it should be right so i think it's always very difficult to try to predict future trends i i don't personally have any you know unlike your co-host i, I don't have like a personal preference on like tech stocks or, or reads or some people just like property stocks or bank stocks you know it's very difficult to predict the future and even if a sector does well the companies within the sectors need not be the winners, right? i give you an example, right? So in the year 2000, if you think that the retail industries will continue to do well, right? So you think people will always be buying things because they just like to spend, right? Some of the biggest companies on the stock market would be the likes of JCPenney, Macy, Nordstrom, Best Buy, Sears, Kmart, right? So if you are a smart investor, what you will do is you won't try to make any bets on any specific retailers what you do is you will maybe invest the same amount 
in all of these companies, right? Because the idea is that if retail does well and I invest in all of these companies, even if one don't do well, the rest do well, I'll still be a winner. But here's the problem, right? If you have taken that approach, retail continue to do well. The retail industry continues to do well, but you have lost money on every single company I just mentioned just now. Why? Because Amazon would have beaten all of them, right? And that is a player you cannot actually, or you won't see coming. Because at that point in time, maybe, okay, they, they were around already, but they were so small that you probably wouldn't even consider them as a big enough player if you want to invest in the retail. But they, they would have been the winner and they would have taken the market share out of these people, right? So what I'm saying is that even if you look at, say, tech companies today, right? Let's say, and you believe tech will do well because, you know, technology will obviously have already revolutionized the way we do things and will likely continue going forward. Then which are the tech companies you would invest in? You would invest in the usual fang, right? Your Facebook, Apple, Alphabet, Microsoft, Netflix, maybe uh, Google, uh, Tesla, if you privilege. So these are the big companies to look at. But again, there's no guarantee that these companies will be the biggest in the next 20 years, even if technology continues to do well, right? So then that's the problem, right? If you, you might be right in your thesis, but the companies that you invest in may be wrong. And who's to say that the company that will be the biggest, you know, by the time we are in 2040, is even here today. It might not even be here today, right? So you can't invest in it. It might not have been created. It might be a private company. It's not yet listed. There's so many of these variables that come into play, right? So the, the only way to kind of like... um. One of the ways to kind of like overcome this problem is, is essentially not to take specific bets in just a few companies. I'm not saying you can't invest in individual stocks. I do as well, right? But that cannot be a huge part of your portfolio, right? At the end of the day, um, I always tell people, right? You are not Warren Buffett, right? You're not investing. And even Warren Buffett don't make specific bets so much. You are, But we're not Warren Buffett. We're not an entrepreneurs. We are investors. What we want is that we want to make sure that when we invest, in, in, uh, in a portfolio that the portfolio can renew itself. So one of the ways portfolio renews itself is just through things like your index-based ETFs because the index, it may not give you the outperformance, right? Because the index will only get returns based on the components within the index. But it, uh, what it does is that it renews itself, right? So the S&P 500 today, if you look at it, the companies on the S&P 500 compared to say 40 years ago is very, very different, Right? Some of the companies that were in the S&P 500 40 years ago are no longer around, no longer in there, right? But the index itself is doing well. And that is what I say about something that has uh, a little bit of anti-fragility, has the resilience to last through both good and bad times, which I think, um, you know, if you are a new investor, you might want to think about this concept uh, rather than to look at specific companies. Yeah. Coming to our final question, you know, if let's say somebody is affected by the, the layoffs that's happening right now in the market, right? And they are looking at, I don't know, just maybe not investing, but hoping that they would come out of this current down cycle a little bit not so damaged, right? So what are some of the tweaks they can make to their habits, daily habits, you know, around things like spending and investing? Like if you were to sort of advise a friend who just recently lost their job, right? Like, what would you what kind of money what kind of money advice would you would you share with them to sort of help them through this period? I think the 
the first thing to, I mean, I, I can't generalize it to everybody, but, you know, in, in general, uh, I mean, I can't, it, it's not specific to everyone, right? But I think the first thing that I feel is that currently a lot of retrenchments are happening, again, like I say, at the higher end of the salary spectrum, right? So uh, that is uh, both a good and a bad thing, right? It's a, it's a good thing because what it, it also means that currently there's actually a lot of jobs still available at, uh, if you want to get a job, right? And then, the jobs that are available, it's not, I'm not saying like they're super low pay or what. They're, they're still reasonable salary, maybe in line with the median salary in Singapore, right? So, you know, for someone who's affected by a retrenchment, they can still get some of this job. Uh, I think there's a lot of grants, government grants out there. And even companies can train you actually if you're interested to shift, to make a mid-career switch. So I think that's a good thing. The bad thing is that, you know, if you expect, if coming from a very... Uh, uh, industry that pays higher salary like banking or tech right um, there is a very good chance that the next job you get may not be able to match that salary right because um, you're, you're coming from a job that pays well so the next place um, even if you get the job it might be a lot might be lower right at least at the start so one of the problems is that you know if you have you are already used to spending a lot in line with your previous high salary then there needs to be a spending adjustment for sure, right? So um, I always give people this advice, you know, before, and this should be ideally heard before someone loses their job, which is that even if our salary grows quickly, um, say because we shift in a new industry, uh, doesn't mean we need to spend proportionately that much more, right? Because um, if you do, then you have, you have lifestyle inflation, then it becomes very difficult if you one day have to leave the job. Right? What you can do is that if you have higher salary, you can always choose to invest or save more, right? So um, I would say that the, the people I know around me that, that kind of live this life quite well, they, they, that's what they do, right? They, they earn good salary um, in finance or in tech or sometimes in fintech, uh, but they don't spend more. What they do is they invest more, right? And if they were to lose their job, which some of them have done, has happened, uh, what happens is that, you know, even if they take a lower salary in their next job, it doesn't affect them too much because they still can spend the same amount, but maybe they just have they just can't invest as much as they used to, right? And until they the salary increase as well, which isn't uh which isn't the end of the world. It's okay, you know, if you you have to take a pay cut and you can't invest as much as you used to. I think the problem comes when you know your spending is like ninety percent of your your salary, and you know you you're not even investing that much, and then a pay cut happens, and you have to adjust your lifestyle. Right. So I think, uh, I mean, for those of you listening here, you know, I think if and I, I read that wages have gone up quite a fair bit in the last couple of years in Singapore. So I think if you are the average person, your salary would have gone up unless you are affected by the retrenchment. Right. So for those of us who are fortunate enough to have earned more today compared to, say, three, four years ago, I think, you know, we should try to not spend more. Uh, if possible, maybe invest more instead, right? So in, even if we lose our job, then what goes is just the investment portion. Nice. Yes, that's great advice. Well, with that, thanks, Tim, for your time. And we have reached the end of the interview. Uh, great advice you have over here. I took down so many notes and I'm definitely going to take, you know, your advice, um, put your advice into practice. Thank you, Tim. Thanks, Deborah. Uh, thank you again for inviting me here. Yeah. Good Girls Talk About Money is produced and edited by me, Mark Lim. Thank you for tuning in and we look forward to seeing you again in the next episode.
the advice shared in this podcast has not taken your personal risk and finances into consideration. Please seek the advice of your financial advisor before making any decision about your money.